0: All right, we should be on the air with Dr. Raymond Pete. This is Politics and Science. I'm the host, John Barkhausen. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, human health and uh, the physiological implications of some of the chemical processes that happen in the body, um, namely uh, reduction and oxidation and some of the other factors. Uh, I, my guest today is Dr. Raymond Pete. He has a Ph.D. in biology and speciality in physiology. And Ray, do you want to add anything to that?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, when I was studying uh, for, for my degree at University of Oregon, uh, uh, I got interested in oxidative processes as they relate to aging. And uh, I, I've been thinking about... Uh, what oxidation means and all the ramifications for 40 or 50 years. And uh, still, I'm uh, curious how it really works.
0: I see. So it's an ongoing uh, scientific uh, endeavor, I suppose, understanding it.
1: Um, yeah, the idea of electrons moving around in matter. Uh, that's one of my longest Standing interests. Uh, I think it started when I was a little kid, probably. But uh, I'm still not satisfied that anyone knows what an electron is or how it works. But without knowing that, you really don't understand what's going on in oxidation, reduction, pH, free radicals, and so on.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe you could give us a little sense of the history of uh, people's try- people trying to understand biochemistry uh, how did it all start do you think
1: oh uh, well uh, the uh, famous uh, first demonstration that that uh, life processes are uh, material chemistry uh, was when a, a guy synthesized urea and uh, people had believed that uh, that was uh, Maybe done by something special in the life process that couldn't be imitated in in the uh, real uh, inert world, but um uh, just heating uh, things ammonia and and uh, carbon dioxide i, I don 't remember the exact chemicals but uh, it, it was demonstrated that you can make uh, urea uh, hmm. simply mechanically and um, so people started. Thinking about the, uh, mechani- the, the chemical processes that uh, make up life, and uh, gradually getting away from the idea that uh, there, there is something unique about the life process that is distinct from, from chemistry.
0: I, I was just reading about uh, that was some a Swedish person, is that correct, uh, who did who figured out urea. How to, I think it was yeah, yeah. and um uh, that was I think around the revolutionary war uh, seventeen sixty uh, something but people must have experimented with um bodily fluids before then was there much research uh, done
1: uh, yeah in the eighteenth century uh, people were really uh, figuring out a lot about how organisms work uh, but the the um uh, Official science uh, stuff that got published and approved of by the government, uh, that was a very slow uh, uh, process that was usually a hundred years behind the, the people on the ground who were really thinking about
0: mm. how things work. I mean, science, for a large part, this is my understanding, was actually a private affair um, done by. Usually wealthy people, sometimes or not always, I suppose. But
1: yeah, rich cranks. So they often put their particular uh, philosophical or, or religious uh, <laughs> bent uh, into the the physical ideas, and uh, it was because of that personal quality, uh, science uh, was really. Uh, more more literary and interesting and artistic uh, before the universities took it over. And uh, gradually, in, in physics, I guess the universities uh, took uh, control of it away from the, the cranks and, and the rich guys uh, in the mid-19th century. And uh, that was the physics that Einstein, for example, Uh, uh, being uh, uh, the um, leading academic physics was being done in Germany and Einstein being Jewish uh, resented the uh, authoritarian dogma of the professors and so he invented something that outwitted the authoritarian physics establishment
0: he sure did boy and um yeah, that sort of reminds me of what a general law of institutionalization that I'm making up here on the spot. But it, it seems like it takes the uh, the interest out of most fields uh, once it gets franchised like that. Uh, I mean, religion I think used to be more of a personal experience uh, before the church took over, and uh, it sounds like it's the same with science.
1: Uh, yeah, and I I think Einstein himself succumbed somewhat to authoritarian attitudes uh, in in the case of saying what an electron is, and thirty years later, I think he regretted having having uh, set things in motion in that particular direction when he he uh, never accepted the the quantum mechanics view of reality as based on on randomness and uh, uh, but he was largely responsible for setting that in motion with his theory of the photoelectric effect Uh, and the idea of the electron as a discrete particle interacting with a photon as a discrete particle uh, was uh, the key idea in that photoelectric effect. Uh, A a photon of a given energy would uh, dislodge Uh, uh, an electron from the uh, uh, solid state uh, giving it a certain voltage and so you can talk about the electron uh, energy or voltage of a given frequency of light and uh, that particularized or atomized the idea of both light and electrons Uh, and uh, that's that's something that uh, allowed theory to uh, take over and, and uh, cover up and uh, reject a lot of uh, empirical, factual observation relating to light, color, electrons, molecules, and so on, and I think life.
0: Wow. So, that's interesting. Once you become an icon, you have to be very careful what you say, because... People might take you seriously.
1: Um, yeah, I, I don't know how conscious he was of that, but uh, he he was uh, uh, very persistent in uh, and not entirely going along with with the drift of of the quantum physics establishment.
0: So, so that that view of the electron and. Uh, is atoms in general? I imagine seeing the electron as an essential part of atomic structure. Uh, how can you explain further how that actually set us on the wrong track?
1: Um, yeah, um, in, uh, around the time of the First World War, Michael Polanyi had demonstrated uh, a continuous potential uh, description of how uh, gases are bound or adsorbed on the solid surfaces. And uh, that that was a smooth sort of process, a, a straight uh, a relationship between the pressure on the gas and the thickness of the adsorbed layer. And uh, when he went to Berlin to uh, present his experimental work and theory, uh, Einstein and others Uh, That was already 10 years beyond the the photoelectric theory and the particularization of of light and electron uh, uh, energy or structure. And uh, Einstein was one of the people that said, uh, in the the advanced science world here in Germany, uh, we know that that just isn't possible because matter is particulate and you just aren't going to get forces uh, smoothly extending away from the surface. Uh, If the uh, the surface has an electrical property and the gas has an electrical property, the first layer of gas atoms hitting that surface is going to perfectly neutralize that so there's no uh, potential extending through space. But uh, Polanyi's results clearly showed that something like that was happening a continuously thickening layer. And uh, so uh, Polanyi was defeated. And uh, the, the uh, people like Irving Langmuir, uh, 15 years later, got the, the Nobel Prize for uh, his idea that uh, gases can only condense in, in a monolayer. Uh, and uh, Polanyi knew it was wrong but he was a, a physics professor and uh, he had to teach the, the Langmuir isotherm but uh, in his own experimental work Polanyi uh, went along examining how molecules and crystals solid state things uh, work and in one uh area of research after another, he kept seeing continuity, uh, things extending. Uh, for example, uh, in the behavior of a crystal, where previously he had shown that um, gases on the surface of activated charcoal, for example, for multi-layers, uh, working with crystals, he found that the events on the surface of a crystal Affected its elasticity and resistance all the way through. So uh, uh, physically, uh, the, the surface doesn't doesn't have the meaning that it seems to in geometry. Uh, and uh, if, for example, in uh, working a crystal back and forth, it gets weaker and weaker as as it accumulates. Uh, some kind of fatigue or memory. And uh, uh, J.C. Bose had uh, demonstrated that sort of thing and uh, found that uh, the fatigue could be recovered from in a crystal. But uh, Polanyi was interested in the fact that uh, the, the um, weakening involves energy flowing over long distances, uh, creating Uh, areas of uh, exaggerated weakness and uh, that was the same sort of effect that he saw uh, when when the surface of a crystal was wet Uh, the surface effect uh, modified the resistance and elasticity properties of of the depth of the crystal Uh, so it was analogous probably to the the idea of conduction bands in which in a metal uh, the electrons are delocalized and uh, the, um, you can think of particulate electrons uh, acting this way but uh, Polanyi's work suggested that maybe uh, that isn't the the only or necessary way to think Of electrons and uh, in when I I was in graduate school 1969 or 70 uh, I was uh, reading uh, surface physics especially uh, as a way to help understand oxidation uh, biologically and in one of the uh, physics journals uh, a, a man named Helmut Schwartz uh, published a description of uh, a funny experiment uh, in which laser light is shined horizontally through a crystal while a beam of electrons uh, goes through the other uh, dimension of the crystal through the thin uh, the, uh, layer, the, 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 a layer about uh, less than a micron, half a micron or so thick. And the electrons passing through the crystal uh, are deflected into a certain uh, pattern uh, by the the electronic property of the crystal atoms that they pass by. Uh, So you can see the the shape of the crystal reflected in the the image of where the electrons hit. uh, Ordinarily, that's done exposing electrons passing through the crystal, uh, exposing a piece of photographic film to the electrons and getting a a chemical uh, change producing the image. But he found taking even a a fluorescent screen away, putting an aluminum uh, oxide-coated layer at the bottom that was uh, very non-reflective, Uh, he found that the electron spots were still there, but they had the blue tint of the laser light going sideways through the crystal. And so the spots had to be uh, the the supposedly discrete particulate electrons uh, for them to uh, be uh, deflected uh, to exactly the, the, the right spots. Uh, which are used to uh, identify crystal structures and such uh, but, but at that spot uh, there shouldn't have been any light but it was uh, the color of the laser light uh, uh, modulating in fact the uh, the beam of, of electrons and uh, that uh, when i uh, tried to talk to physics professors about it, they simply said it can't happen. You can't modulate one electron.
0: Mm-hmm. And when uh, you say modulate, you mean change color or actually... Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. the yeah. color of, of an electron is supposed to be its relationship to the atom. And what it's doing is, is uh, absorbing or interacting with a particular wavelength of the light. So the atom is uh, subtracting or... Maybe uh, fluorescing a color, but it's always uh, subtracting or adding something according to the way it is bound to the atom. So uh, an electron flying through space—it uh, just wasn't acceptable. Uh, they preferred to say that the person was simply hallucinating or something. Hmm. Uh, but it, it was done at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and uh, they had the best equipment of that sort mm. in the world at the time. Wow! And uh, a, a lot of people immediately trying to uh, replicate it uh, didn't have the same uh, degree of, of vacuum in their electron microscope, or didn't have the same power of laser. Or or the same quality of crystal making, and so on. uh, Great cleanliness, and so on, uh, was part of the original experiment. So, a lot of people sort of like cold fusion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, If if it violates the theory, and you don't have the same equipment exactly, uh, it's very easy to uh, debunk something uh, just by by doing a slightly different set up and getting different results.
0: Yeah, that's right. Today's genius, uh, well, actually, today's crackpot is possibly tomorrow's genius Um, uh, in many
1: cases. uh, Very recently, uh, Helmut Schwartz, who who became uh, the head of Germany's uh, research-granting institution, uh, the the government's money dispenser for research, uh, he said that... uh, Outsiders are important everywhere, not just in science that you don't get advanced unless you have people somewhat on the fringe
0: yeah uh, if anybody wants to google minority opinions in science, there's actually a huge amount of information out there of uh scientists who have been sidelined uh for their uh viable research, but because uh it's bucking the current. Uh, institutions or the money that's coming into those institutions uh they 're not getting any uh, traction with any of their work and in fact, a lot of the research is being taken away from them uh research facilities so um, it's a it 's a lot bigger uh faction of science than anybody hears about because of course they don 't get any press
1: either uh, and uh, i've i've been noticing that uh, institutions like the wikipedia uh, Uh, Supposedly, the Internet should be an opportunity to uh, uh, disseminate uh, uh, descending ideas, but uh, uh, the culture of authoritarian science is so strong that you see it uh, affecting the way Wikipedia works. It's sort of like a a sounding board for the uh, most authoritarian viewpoints in
0: science yeah and, if, and that makes sense because if you have the money of an institution behind you, you have the money to pay a staff member to keep updating Wikipedia and editing anybody's uh, other um, input uh, So it's it's kind of like he who has the most resources wins yep. the argument so I was a little confused about the particulate uh, electrons versus Is it a wave theory is the alternative, or one of the alternatives to that? What's wrong Uh, uh, with the particles?
1: uh, Well, um, since you can't explain uh, many events in terms of particles, uh, it it becomes uh, a sort of mathematical magic to uh, try to make up uh, theories to explain uh, results like Polanyi's or Schwartz's. Uh, And uh, uh, Albert St. Georgie used uh, conventional uh, uh, quantum uh, thinking about electrons uh, and uh, went went a long way towards explaining uh, some of the uh, biological phenomena that people hadn't been able to uh, even perceive. Uh, But that doesn't mean that that it necessarily validates the the particulate uh, electron uh, just because you you can explain some important phenomena and so I think it should mean that uh, uh, the whole idea of of what matter is how an electron uh, works whether it it might be that uh, there is an electrical. Uh, ether-like material which breaks up in different ways uh, into uh, apparently discrete electrons but uh, uh, that r- rather than being an eternally discrete particle like a, a proton is supposed to be uh, the electron might be sort of an ad hoc uh, uh, diffusion uh, uh, which the, the uh, Wave interpretation uh, is approaching that idea uh, that the uh, and, and some of the uh, subatomic uh, thinkers are are saying that maybe this great variety of uh, subatomic particles being seen with high energy research maybe these are just sort of an ad hoc response of uh, matter to a particular context or environment or. Mm-hmm.
0: So it might just be an aspect you're seeing, depending on the the uh, medium you're using to see it with.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's see, and, and that would say that uh, in a different solar system or a different galaxy, the uh, atoms are, are not necessarily uh, going to be the same uh, exact uh, have the same functionality, and uh, that is an implication of Halton Arp's, uh, comments on his, uh, galaxy photographs.
0: Okay. Now that you brought that up, you better explain what that means again. Um.
1: Uh, the, the, um, he, uh, showed that, uh, uh, what, appeared to be, uh, continuously, uh, connected, uh, groups of stars, uh, one of the parts uh, of what seems to be a continuous uh, stream of stars, one of the parts will have uh, an extreme redshift difference from the other one, meaning that they should be uh, very remote in space, but uh, his pictures show uh, connections like one is being shot out of the other. And he suggests that the one being shot out is newly created and that new matter has a different way of vibrating, which shows up as a redshift. In other words, uh, the atoms are different when when they're fresh.
2: I see.
0: And and you said I think last time or the another time we talked that a redshift it means something's moving away from you. Is that in um, space? Yeah,
1: that's, that's the standard mechanical physics connection, like the Doppler effect when when the uh-huh. train passes the. the Frequency drops.
0: I see. So, but um, you're saying it also could have other implications.
1: Um, uh, yeah. For example, uh, light uh, passing close to a star uh, uh, has a, a frequency shift. And uh, an Israeli physicist astronomer named Dror Sade uh, was working in the U.S. and uh, he was. Uh, studying at different times uh, the light of, of a star passing close to the sun and uh, of a, a, a beeping quasar pulsar uh, that sends out uh, a certain frequency uh, passing close to the sun. And he uh, kept seeing what seemed to be a, a, a time change or a frequency change uh, depending on how close the beam came to the sun. And he uh, uh, got an atomic clock at the uh, U.S. Bureau of Standards uh, and mounted another one on a truck and connected them by radio so that they could be synchronized, and uh, then drove up the coast. Uh, I I think he he went up towards Maine and... uh, Uh, meanwhile, recorded uh, the um, uh, relationship between these two clocks as he went and saw that uh, every morning at sunrise, Washington, D.C. seemed to be redshifted away (laughs) from his truck. Uh, And and his argument was that uh, something about uh, the... uh, uh, field of the sun uh, coming on the scene was uh, shifting the radio waves that were connecting the the two clocks Uh, otherwise it would have looked like you had an expanding universe to a ridiculous extent in which uh, Washington was moving at a million miles an hour away from Maine (laughs) <laughs>
0: well, I think it may be <laughs> they, they seem remarkably out of touch <laughs> with uh real life anyway um well that's fascinating right and and so we're talking about uh the nature of the universe and ourselves and uh, particularly electrons i guess in electrical fields so you you're saying that the f- that the, the the sun's um, electrical field, when it, or maybe it isn't even electrical, but the wave from the sun of uh, radiation, is possibly uh, altering time slightly.
1: He, uh, I, I think he was thinking in terms of, of gravitational field. Oh, uh, but I don't know exactly what sunrise w- would mean.
0: Okay, in, in it's
1: in terms of. His
0: thinking. How do you spell his name, Ray? So we could go look up on the internet um, what he's up to. First,
1: first name D R O R.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Sadeh S A D E H. Okay.
0: Name. Okay.
1: Um, he was uh, killed in by radiation poisoning.
2: Oh.
1: In the uh, non atomic bomb laboratories in Israel. All
0: oh right, the non atomic bomb laboratories. Making the bombs they don't have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, so, obviously, it makes a difference how you think about uh, electrons and if if you're trying to figure out how these molecular processes are happening. And uh, this show was going to be about physiology, but I guess it makes a real difference of what your general theory of atomic structure is.
1: Um, uh, Yeah, the the, um, uh, idea of um, the particular nature of matter uh, sort of uh, spread or diffused into the thinking process so that uh, atoms, the same way Einstein couldn't tolerate multilayer adsorption in 1915, Biochemists can't tolerate long-range uh, processes in in biochemistry, and uh, one of the uh, uh, things things in chemistry that resembled uh, what Polanyi was seeing in in crystals uh, and uh, his other experiments, um, the inductive effect is. Uh, uh, at at the basis of of, uh, uh, really fundamental biological thinking uh, about uh, uh, coacervates, For example, uh, Bungenberg de Jong founded uh, a a line of thinking that uh, eventually led to uh, Gilbert Ling's uh, way of of seeing the, uh, the cell as a special state of matter. And uh, one of the basic and, and simple chemical physical principles uh, necessary to think this way is called uh, electronic induction in, in a molecule. And uh, when you have atoms that are uh, electron withdrawing, or they have an affinity for electrons you put them in the molecule and the the um charge or the the intensity of the electron's effect shifts down the molecular chain towards that electron withdrawing atom or group so it's it's like a partial electron and uh, that that's an essential part now of, of organic chemistry, that you have partial charges. But uh, when you uh, really take that seriously and see that uh, this effect exists everywhere in every molecule in the cell, uh, it goes to another level, which is uh, the... Uh, uh, coordinated or coherent uh, effects of of, uh, uh, the um, uh, 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 electron-inducing groups. Uh, So you you have a a collective kind of reaction in in which you pass a threshold sort of the way liquid water passes to solid water. they can be at the same temperature, but uh, someone has to start the process, and and then it can go like a, a cascade all at once. The, uh, the atoms will fall into place hmm. and change the state. So uh, you can have solid water uh, at somewhat above the melting temperature or liquid water well below the freezing temperature. Uh, if you don't have this uh, cooperativity of of, uh, molecules and atoms and uh, when you combine these these ideas of uh, cooperativity and induction uh, you get uh, these uh, group effects where you have a change of state in effect Hmm. uh, which will pass through the bulk of the material um, uh, so, so that it, you can start thinking about uh, how it works with uh, uh, looking at the effects of pH on a protein. Okay. Uh, but uh, th- that's the, the simplest uh, effect of, of the uh, pH, all the, the same all the way through a solution and a protein. Uh, with its uh, various charged groups responding to that pH uh, so that the internal fields uh, are intensified or decreased according to the pH. So you can have a protein expanding or collapsing according to the uh, the pH of its surroundings. But uh, then when you add uh, uh, other molecules binding or associating with that protein and those have electron withdrawing or donating properties uh, then the way that protein responds to a certain pH is different I see and and uh, these electron withdrawing molecules uh, are in a sense a partial oxidation uh, oxidation being taking away of electrons Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the, the the degree of oxidation in a molecule uh, defines how electron withdrawing it is, uh, and the totality of, of molecules with that quality in a system such as a protein or a group of proteins in the solvent uh, that will. Uh, affect the uh, the global degree of oxidation of the system. And uh, when it reaches a certain point, point, instead of just one protein uh, collapsing or expanding, you get uh, the same freeze-melt transition in which one protein triggers another one and so on. I see. So, so, so you get coherent, cooperative... Uh, types of changes throughout the system. Uh, 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 That's where uh, the uh, uh, tending to think discreetly has been so strongly affected by the uh, the, um, particulate electron, particulate proton, particulate photon type of thinking uh, so that people don't like to uh, get involved in those uh, cooperative global effects
0: I see so uh, I I don't know if I'm going to I probably got this confused but it sounds like there's several things that affect how quickly a chemical change happens uh, in the body or elsewhere and that one of them is the environment so the pH surrounding the substance where the change might happen is key and then the other part is uh the materials that are are attached to that substance. So if you're talking protein, and then the protein yeah. might have other molecules attached to it that actually enhance or deter the change happening.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and that's uh, one of the complexities of of the living state is that it, it, if you kill it, it doesn't work the same. Uh, so you have to think of it, it always in a certain environment. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, that uh, you have to really think of it as a, a flow from from the environment uh, in and out, uh, and the rate of flow and intensity of flow and so on.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and, uh, uh, the uh, the way people think about antioxidants uh, even tends to. Uh, uh, turn into a, a static description rather than a, a flowing process. Mm-hmm. The cell is, is always, when it's alive, uh, maintaining a, a delicate balance between oxidation and and reduction. And so uh, antioxidants are a, a dynamic process in which they're also oxidants. If, they're, if you push towards... A, a, a dominance of, of reduction, then you kill the cell in, in a different way.
0: Ray, can you uh, back up a little bit and just explain the origin of the word oxidant and 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 what it means?
1: Um, in the 18th century, uh, when they were thinking of phlogiston, uh, that uh, you had to dephlogisticate something. What?
0: What does that mean?
1: Uh, the um, it, it was the, the, something that left uh, uh, a burning substance, and uh, uh. it, it was, meant the exhaustion uh, when when phlogiston had uh, filled up the space. You couldn't burn anything more, in it, and uh, th- th- it made it very hard to. Uh, Understand chemical reactions, but then Priestley and uh, uh, I guess Lavoisier was another one. Uh, two or three people around the same time were were seeing uh, th- that uh, there was something uh, th- being consumed from the air in the process of burning, rather than added to it, uh, and uh, uh, the uh, when they uh, started studying what was being consumed in the air, they saw that it, it generally made an acid form. Uh, and so, so the uh, I think it was Priestley who named it the the uh, substance that makes burning possible in the air. He called the acid former or the oxygen, uh, oxygen being uh, the, the root for acid or sour. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so uh, so many acids were formed by oxygen. It got its name as the source of, of acid.
2: Huh.
1: And uh, uh, it isn't an absolute. There are acids without oxygen. Uh, and, and that uh, leads into the, the whole issue of pH, but uh, thinking of oxygen in relation to its ability to form acids, uh, that's very important to integrate with your thinking of what a cell is doing, Uh, and people tend to have uh, begun thinking of carbon dioxide as simply a waste product, but If you think of the electronic uh, balance uh, between oxidation and reduction, holding the proteins and other things of the cell in a certain very specific state or conformation, changing the pH is crucial, and uh, this partial oxidation that you get Uh, at a a lower pH which uh, governs the arrangement of of the protein and other substances carbon dioxide turns out to be uh, a universal uh, uh, balancing factor or um, adjuster of the uh, acidic properties of the protein Uh, so the, the acid formed by oxygen in this case, carbon dioxide. Uh, it, it's uh, in itself, it, it's an acid uh, as defined by Gilbert Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't have the protons. So you uh, you needn't uh, talk about the uh, the pH really because it's it, it's a non protic acid, uh, just two oxygens and a carbon. Uh, but uh, this arrangement, uh, an oxygen doubly bonded to a carbon, creates that electron-withdrawing property, the intrinsic partial oxidizing property of that molecule, which when it attaches to a protein, it increases the acidity of the protein, making it slightly partially more oxidized, more acidic, mm-hmm. and that changes its affinity for uh, other things according to how negatively charged its groups are, and uh, uh, this this is uh, uh, the kind of thinking that, that led up to the uh, uh, the Gilbert Ling orientation uh, the, uh, accounting for cells uh, and their metabolism without the hypothetical membrane and its pumps. Uh, uh, The uh, pH and the acid property of the protein system maintained by the carbon dioxide produced by oxidation. Uh, uh, This is the the central thing in uh, explaining why cells uh, can discriminate um, between... Uh, Sodium and and potassium and uh, calcium and magnesium and all of the discriminations that cells make. Uh, You don't need a little magic pump uh, moving things in and out uh, that would uh, consume more energy than the cell has. Mm. Uh, The the energy of the cell is really being produced uh, uh, to to form uh, uh, carbon dioxide and the carbon dioxide is changing the and maintaining the properties, uh, preventing excess uh, electron accumulation. And, and um, it, since it's a continuing streaming process, you have oxygen streaming in and carbon dioxide streaming out, and the carbon dioxide reacting. As an acid with water uh, shifts the uh, the property of the the water atom, so the uh, the water joins with the carbon dioxide, forming carbonic acid, which ionizes uh, you now have an, a negative charge on the carbon dioxide streaming out of the cell. it takes a positive charges out with it Uh, uh, otherwise the the cell would uh, quickly become highly electrically charged so the uh, movement of oxygen in carbon dioxide out is taking out uh, the um, the sodium and and calcium uh, 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 as a a streaming continuous maintenance process
0: wow wow so, this is the, uh, most people have heard of the membrane theory of cells that they're basically bags uh, holding this cytoplasm in. And this is, in case you didn't get this, this is an alternative theory that it's actually being regulated um, by the products of the mitochondria. Is that right, Ray? So the yeah. mitochondria is producing the CO2 um, when it makes the AT, the, uh, the energy we all use, the ATP. And so the CO2 starts off as an electron acceptor, but then it becomes negatively charged, and that bonds with the uh, positive uh, metal ions, the magnesium and calcium. Um, it,
1: yeah, it doesn't necessarily bond with them, but in, oh. in leaving, they tend to get dragged out too.
0: I see. And, and why is the CO2 leaving?
1: Uh, just because it's being constantly formed inside and it just diffuses out down the gradient.
0: So that's like an osmotic pressure?
1: Um, uh, No? Yeah, well uh, a a diffusion pressure it's it's going down the gradient Uh, like if you uh, put alcohol against water uh, they'll tend to mix, the alcohol will move into the water and the water into the alcohol uh, uh, until they're more or less even. And uh, when you have a high concentration of CO2 in the cell, uh, at a certain point it uh, starts uh, being uh, more at ease outside of the cell. I see.
0: So it's a a diffusion process.
1: Yeah. And and, uh, that accounts for taking it out into the extracellular space and the blood and when it gets into the blood, uh, it having uh, taken the uh, uh, sodium and uh, some other things with it, uh, it circulates to the lungs and uh, changes uh, back to carbon dioxide, which is uh, again going down its gradient from a high concentration in your blood. To a lower concentration in the fresh air you breathe so the the carbon dioxide is leaving the blood and it leaves behind the uh, uh, molecules or ions that it took out of the cells and uh, so the uh, absence of the acidic carbon dioxide in the blood leaves the blood now with a higher pH because of the, uh, the movement of of sodium and such out of the cell.
2: Hmm. I see.
1: Uh, so it, the normal situation is is for a healthy cell to be uh, just faintly under neutrality, uh, and uh, for the blood to be uh, definitely over neutrality, like inside the cell, six point nine pH and in the blood, 7.4, roughly.
0: Okay. 7.4, I see, so that's a little bit higher than and the uh, cell is low.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, go on. Uh,
1: the, the um, a, a lot of people have uh, uh, seen a disease as as caused by uh a a low pH or too much acidity and uh, in the case of stress and and cancer uh, a tumor will uh, become very acidic Uh, so that traditional idea has has a basis that uh, an infection or a tumor uh, the inflammation uh, produces high concentration of lactic acid and and a very low pH in that area, uh, which does have uh, disruptive toxic effects on that area. And, and so the body is uh, able generally to correct that and uh, uh, reduce the inflammation and stop the production of, of lactic acid. But the uh, uh, when lactic acid is formed, uh, it... Uh, The conversion from pyruvic acid to lactic acid uh, is drawing uh, an extra proton out of the uh, NADH uh, uh, catalyst that that causes the conversion. Uh, And uh, in uh, taking away this uh, extra proton as as it leaves, it... uh, in its formation uh, it uh, raises the pH inside the cell Uh, so even though a a tumor or an infection is uh, locally you, you see excess acid high lactic acid inside the cell that's doing that it's the reverse process you get an increase in the pH inside the cell and uh, so the cell which is stuck, if it gets stuck in producing lactic acid because it can't produce CO2, mm-hmm. then that means it also tends to get stuck at a higher pH, and this higher pH changes the whole system, uh, uh, and uh, that's that's where you tend to get a, a self-replicating tumor. Um, because the, the normal acidic conditions maintained by the CO2 are, are, are lost. I see.
0: It, okay, that's, that's good to know. And maybe you could explain for us, I don't think you have to go through the entire uh, cycle, but you're talking about uh, cellular respiration, and I don't think people generally know that pyruvic, uh, when you're talking about that, you're talking about the products or the process of uh, making the energy that we all use, and could could you just give us a little cliff note version of that?
1: I um, mean, yeah, the, the um, looking at us in our environment, we're really sort of uh, sandwiched between the sugar energy we get from plants and the carbon dioxide that we make as uh, the final product of of the energy from the sugar, uh, and uh, the um, the uh, a series of of um, changes in the, the sugar molecule. Each uh, uh, oxidation of, of that molecule uh, adds a little chemical energy to the cell that the cell can use to make proteins. As it degrades the sugar, it, it builds up amino acids and proteins and fats.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, uh, when when you're unable to uh, oxidize uh, the sugar all the way down to carbon dioxide and uh, produce uh, uh, lactic acid instead, halfway, you're losing the greatest part of the energy stored in the glucose molecule, Uh, and that lack of energy uh, has its repercussions, but when there's really a a lack of oxygen, to continue the oxidation, uh, that NADH, which allowed pyruvic acid to take this shortcut off into the semi-toxic lactic acid, uh, that has to be renewed before you can even make another lactic acid. Mm. Uh, So without oxygen... Uh, uh, you need some kind of oxidant to even continue uh, producing that kind of low energy from uh, sugar to to pyruvic and lactic acid. And to do that, cells uh, can uh, produce fat uh, and uh, get rid of their electrons by building them into fat. Hmm.
2: Uh,
1: So Building fat, in a way, is an alternative, very bad one to uh, using up oxygen and making CO2. Uh, So, interestingly, uh, cancers which get stuck in the the, um, exclusive use of uh, converting glucose or amino acids to uh, uh, lactic acid as their energy supply they also get stuck making fat. Hmm. Uh, Fat becomes their oxygen, in effect. And And then when they uh, uh, still have mitochondrial function, uh, the the cell burns fat as its energy source. Hmm. So so it's... uh, Really, a, a deranged and crazy kind of metabolism to uh, produce uh, an irritant lactic acid uh, to uh, and to do that, it has to make fat which uh, is then used as fuel with with its own uh, consequences
0: and, and is that that 's called uh, glycolysis?
1: Um, yeah, it's aerobic glycolysis when you make lactic acid uh, in the presence of oxygen, uh, and ordinary uh, anaerobic glycolysis is what happens when you uh, exercise too hard. Uh, you you can build up lactic acid uh, in getting out of breath. Uh, the um, the blood lactate increases uh, if you exercise faster than you're breathing. uh, And uh, that's normal. Uh, You can, uh, a little later, consume and oxidize the lactic acid, and and that's okay. But uh, when when you start producing lactic acid, even in the presence of oxygen, as in the case of cancer Mm. uh, or uh, extreme trauma or shock, same thing happens uh something turns the the trigger uh, so that even though oxygen is, is present in shock uh, you will uh, waste waste your sugar and make lactic acid
0: i see so oxygen is there and but it's not it, you're unable to use
2: it
1: um, yeah and uh, the nervous system is uh, in in the case of shock at least the nervous system is involved in making that aerobic glycolysis and uh, so there are quite a few people who have suggested that the nervous system is involved in in the cancer transition doing the same thing that shock and trauma uh, can do acutely
0: Hmm. wow um, I have to take a short break here and say that you're listening to WMRWLP Warren and uh, we're streaming live at WMRW.org or 951 FM and you're listening to Politics and Science. I'm John Barkas and the host and my guest today is Dr. Raymond Peet. He a, has a PhD in biology and a specialty in physiology and we're talking around the subject of uh, oxidation and health. And uh what role oxidation plays in maintaining that health um, there's more I want to ask you about the uh the uh not being able to uh, use the oxygen that's present and um, anaerobic uh it's anaerobic glycolysis even though there's oxygen there in
1: um, ha- aerobic.
0: Oh, and then it's called aerobic yeah. glycolysis. I see. And how does the mitochondria make do with burning a fat? How is that even possible?
1: Um, it's uh, and, a. And and what what are the, what are
0: the problems with that?
1: Oh, oh, the, uh, the it produces less uh, carbon dioxide, for example. Mm-hmm. I I think that's the main problem. Uh, the uh, if you develop uh, fat stores uh, you get uh, particles of, of fat accumulating in the cytoplasm and maybe in the nucleus uh, that uh, probably have a disruptive effect when you're uh, heavily shifted over to a, a fat economy. I see. Uh, if the uh, uh, that the tumor makes saturated fat uh, uh, as its uh, first product in, in converting uh, sugar to saturated fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, when it's uh, shifting uh, in in the presence of, of stress, when it shifts to burning fat, usually that, that will go through your fat stores, uh, burning up your your uh, subcutaneous fat uh, quickly. So uh, when a person is is very sick with cancer, for example, uh, they get a a gaunt, emaciated look as as their uh, superficial fat stores are are used up. And at the same time, uh, uh, they convert amino acids to energy, uh, converting some of it to sugar and some to fat. And and, uh, so it starts a wasting process. But our stores, uh, the older a person gets, generally the higher the amount of polyunsaturated fat in their stores. And uh, when you're oxidizing polyunsaturated fats, uh, that produces more oxidative damage to the mitochondria. Mm. Uh, And uh, So it tends to... uh, Lower the oxidative part of metabolism and and slow things down in general.
0: I see, and then people end
1: up feeling a lot less energy levels
0: and uh, generally get run down overall.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, that happens uh, in midlife to lots of people. That uh, it resembles the cancer metabolism, but it just shows up as fatigue. Uh, low-energy use in general. Uh, uh, Some people where textbooks used to say that you would always lose weight if you ate less than 1,700 calories per day. Uh, uh, Lots of people uh, can maintain their weight on 700 calories a day. Uh, And that requires uh, turning off of, of the thyroid function to a great extent. And uh, so you're uh, being wasteful, even though you're not using uh, very much energy at all. What you are using tends to be poorly used and destructive. Um, So you you tend to uh,
2: uh,
1: reduce your uh, uh, connective tissue and muscle and and digestive system and so on uh, rather than uh, just living on, on what you're eating or stored fat. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: so well, so basically, basically, you're, basically you're hibernating. hibernating.
1: Um, uh, you got fuzzy. I couldn't tell. Oh, maybe it? Oh, are we barely up again. Up can you hear me? now? Hear yeah. me now? Uh, it's very girdly. Okay, I'm okay, going to call you back. You uh, back. We'll resume. We'll resume. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 Hello, you're on the Bye. air. Uh, can you hear me?
1: Uh, yeah, you're still a little still gargly. Uh, huh. uh, huh. Not not as bad as it was.
0: Okay, we're you're coming through fine. So if you can, okay. if you can put up with it, we can we're good to go. Okay. Um. So are fats always the part of the process of respiration, oxidizing fats, or
1: is that only when you're uh, ill? Um. Uh, yeah. It, it's only under stress generally, and. Uh, uh, starvation, mm-hmm. or or diabetes, or or a high high level of stress.
0: I see a, lo- a lot of people are on those um, ketosis diets uh, where they don't eat any uh, carbohydrates. And does that cause you to burn fats?
1: Um, and protein. And
0: protein, right?
1: Uh, the uh, your brain and uh, some other tissues, the intestine and red blood cells and uh, various uh, little little areas but especially the brain uh, have an absolute uh, requirement for some sugar, some glucose and uh, they'll get it by breaking down amino acids and they get that from eating your tissues if you aren't uh, eating uh, enough uh, amino acids but uh, if you uh, are eating Amino acids as your uh, energy source, uh, fats and amino acids, uh, you turn on the machinery for turning uh, uh, amino acids into glucose and fat, and running that uh, machinery involves turning on stress hormones. Uh, A whole range of hormones adjust to it. And uh, I think those have chronic harmful effects.
0: I see so uh, I know when people do it they 're usually in a very controlled uh, setting like they, they go in for regular checkups, and I think that i don 't actually know, but I think they take blood and urine samples and you know they 're trying to make sure you 're not actually endangering yourself
1: um, most of the proteins that are are being eaten. Under those systems, uh, most of them are too high in phosphate, and uh, uh, usually too high in, in methionine, uh, cysteine, and tryptophan. And uh, cysteine uh, is an excitotoxic amino acid, and uh, methionine uh, is involved in in stress and aging when uh, in proportion to its excess. So that um, one of the most effective life extending uh, diets is simply to reduce the amount of methionine in the diet drastically. Uh, so it, uh, the, the sulfur amino acids and tryptophan are uh, stress and aging promoters, uh, especially cytotoxic damage to the nerves. Hmm. And, and the high phosphate from most of the popular proteins. Uh, the high phosphate is uh, uh, has a lot of uh, excitatory harmful effects. Uh, the uh, clotho uh, gene and protein that uh, is deficient in uh, animals that have a, a very quick aging process, uh, uh, that's a, a largely a, a phosphate handling protein, and uh, the, the rapid aging produced by lacking that protein and gene uh, is uh, involves accumulating excess phosphate.
0: And that in phosphate, you get from
1: eating meat primarily, or um, um, meat is uh, one of the highest ratios of, of phosphate to. Uh, the other minerals, uh, but several of the uh, very high quality proteins uh, even mushrooms have a, a pretty high ratio of phosphate to calcium
2: hmm. uh,
1: milk is uh, milk and cheese are about half and half, which is probably safe but uh, fruits and leaves uh, leafy green vegetables have a, a very safe low very low phosphate content relative to calcium and magnesium and potassium
0: i see so uh fruits and vegetables are um the best but you're not getting much protein in that case so you um, need some milk and cheese too
1: uh yeah uh, and probably a, a fairly low protein diet is uh, uh very good for the health but uh uh, in, in the sense of living a long time, but uh, for uh, oh, maintaining tissue renewal, you, you can't go below a, a certain amount of tryptophan, cysteine, and thiamine. Those are rapid turnover proteins. Mm.
0: Okay. Okay. Um- You know, I think, Ray, I'm going to turn to some of the questions I received from people in preparation for the show, because I know if I wait, we're going to be short on time, and I want to make sure you have time to answer them. Uh, Last week, we talked about, or you mentioned, Luca Turin and his research on, uh, I think it was odors and the electrical uh, nature of odors. He he had, uh, maybe you could, um, when you get to answering this, you could go over that a little bit, but uh, somebody wanted to know what your feelings are about multiple uh, chemical sensitivity, uh, and that's pretty common these days. A lot of people can be made very ill by a perfume or the smell of bounce. And what do you think of, is going on, and does that relate to Luca Turin's work?
1: Yeah, I think it does. And, and uh, uh, the, uh, he was uh, talking specifically about... Uh, Smell and, and uh, psychoactive, like antidepressant chemicals, uh, and uh, there is when you look at the uh, what's in common between uh, smelling and uh, uh, having the antidepression effect of, of some chemicals. Uh, what's in common is the resonance state or the tuning of the molecule to the the oxidation state uh, uh, which is uh, in in this context of uh, partially oxidized proteins in a, a coherent cooperative system uh, the whole system has to be tuned to a certain level of reduction and oxidation and uh, the the Addition of a chemical, whether it's an antidepressant or a perfume molecule, uh, passes along the conductive uh, the pathways of, of the nervous system and uh, the cells all through the body are are involved in uh, the delicate nerve balances. Uh, The vegetative or autonomic nervous system uh, regulates the uh, state of inflammation of the tissues, for example. Uh, uh, There are lots of uh, cells closely associated with with fibers of the nervous system, uh, cells uh, called mast cells, for example, that uh, can regulate inflammation uh, all through the body, Um, in the brain as well as uh, all the other tissues and and these are are connected and balanced with with the nervous system so a, a slight shift in your autonomic nervous system uh, can globally change the the degree of inflammation all through your body hmm. uh, increasing the amount of histamine and serotonin and uh, Uh, the various products of the mast cells. Uh, uh, This is uh, uh, when when a person is under stress chronically, uh, these inflammatory things tend to rise. And uh, when you increase your uh, intensity of of mitochondrial respiration and your level of carbon dioxide, uh, that stabilizes the system, backs away from that excess inflammatory, uh, reductive impulse. But uh, when you're right on the edge, uh, just balanced, uh, not intense enough uh, oxidation going on, uh, then a a perfume molecule or a a psychoactive chemical or a food molecule can uh, send impulses through your system shifting you uh, away from the oxidative excitatory processes towards the uh, the side of your nervous system that becomes dominant in shock um, uh, so I, I think the the chronic fatigue and uh, uh, chemical sensitivity inflammatory states uh, uh, are uh, in in effect a variation on the physiology of shock Hmm,
0: that's really fascinating. I mean, it's amazing that somebody can actually wear a product because they like the smell, but that same product, the smell of which can make somebody else deadly ill.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think it uh, depends on the, the way your nervous and chemical system is is tuned up.
0: I mean, everything, oxidation and reduction is involved in, in, in all of our processes that are uh, chemical. Yeah.
1: The uh, lactic acid uh, is a reductant as, as well as a product of of being reduced. Uh, and uh, turning it into uh, lactic acid from pyruvic acid uh, involves uh, an electronic uh, addition or reduction. But it then, when a goes to a a balanced or healthy cell, it it shifts the balance towards reduction. And and if you have oxygen in that cell, it's okay. The electrons will be consumed. But uh, lactic acid itself has this potential for shifting the balance. Uh, For example, in uh, the mast cells that are signals for more inflammation, uh, too much lactic acid will activate their uh, releases. Uh, and uh, uh, so systemically, uh, letting too much lactic acid circulate is uh, adding to the uh, uh, the inflammatory state.
0: And I know you've told me before, people might be interested in this, that uh, you're not very fond of yogurt because of the uh, lactic acid, so you can actually... Absorb lactic acid from your food directly. I mean,
1: uh, yeah, there are there are some kinds of yogurt that have uh, very little lactic acid. Uh, you can uh, thicken the milk enzymically uh, rather than uh, with a lot of acid. Mm. And those very mild yogurts uh, aren't especially harmful. But if they're very sour with lactic acid, uh, and if your liver is uh, on edge, not enough thyroid function, uh, then uh, that slight shift in towards the reduction side uh, can, can have systemic effects and can bring on allergic reactions, migraine headaches, mm. and such.
0: And so just talking specifically about yogurt, if, if you go, we have a local yogurt maker around here, and I find if you buy it immediately, um, you know, as soon as it comes out, there's hardly... No apparent lactic acid in it, uh, but the longer it sits, the more the acid separates from the actual uh, milk product. So I'm wondering, is that acid forming as it goes, or is it always in there and you just shouldn't eat um, it? Period.
1: No, the the uh, bacteria are making it.
0: Okay. So a young a, a young yogurt would be fine.
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay.
0: Yeah, because you can also strain your yogurt, which is the same as buying Greek yogurt, um, and that gets rid of it and basically makes a thicker or cheesier mm-hmm. product.
1: Yeah, that, that's the the idea of uh, cottage cheese. Uh, they um, drain away most of the fluid, uh, the whey, mm. uh, and that takes away the almost all of the lactic acid from most cheeses.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know that fresh yogurt is okay. Um, I guess i got a question coming in on the same subject we were talking about a second ago. This uh, from Duncan. I bought a perfume base from a chemical company some years ago, and it was so toxic that UPS was afraid to, to deliver it. I had to go pick it up myself. On the MSDS toxicity scale, which goes from zero to four, this was a six. Yep, two points over the max for chemical toxicity. Perfumes are very poisonous, he concludes. (laughs) What's the MSDS? Is that the uh, manufacturer's... um, uh, Safety data sheet, uh, I think. Thank you, yes. All right. And he also asked, do you contribute to Wikipedia? No. (laughs) Okay.
1: And... uh, Um, Oh, go ahead. Someone has asked me to uh, uh, comment on the uh, association induction hypothesis Mm -hmm. article, a very good long article uh, describing Gilbert Ling's theory. A lot of people are jumping on it, uh, saying that it should be eliminated from Wikipedia because it's wrong. Hmm. Wow. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, that's surprising. I wonder if uh, Gerald Pollack, who also basically um, derived a lot of his work from Gilbert Ling and says so, um, I wonder if he might be there defending him.
1: uh, Yeah, I I don't know how you get involved. I, when I find out, I think I'll uh, say keep it, please. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> that would be good. Um, let's see. And I have some more questions here. I should. I'm going to find them so we get to them before the show is over. Uh, this is from Paul. Uh, he says I am a 34-year-old male, and since about eight months, uh, type one diabetic. I believe I got diabetes after x-rays from my dentist. I'm curious if you think that's possible. I take daily insulin and follow a pro-metabolic diet. I supplement aspirin, vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin K, B1, B3, glycine, pregnenolone, magnesium glycinate. I am still in a so-called honeymoon phase, and I would very much like to prolong this phase or even get off all insulin. Uh, Do you have any tips or supplements I might add to my regimen. And he says, thank you from the bottom of his heart.
1: Um, Before I was born, my father uh, had extreme diabetes, went down to uh, something like 90 pounds or less, uh, couldn't uh, assimilate any kind of food, uh, even uh, pure protein, uh, raised his urine, uh, glucose tremendously. And uh, looking at uh, old uh, naturopathic remedies, uh, he uh, started eating as his only food brewer's yeast. He ate, uh, I guess, two cups a day at first and uh, immediately stopped producing uh, so much uh, glucose in his urine. And in uh, a few months was completely well uh, Uh, Every maybe uh, five years or so after that, he would uh, eat some extra brewer's yeast but never had any symptom of of, uh, diabetes after that. And uh, uh, I think part of that effect is the the hormones in the yeast uh, which uh, stimulate uh, regeneration and the high potassium content which... Uh, has an insulin-like action um, and the high B vitamins. Uh, But uh, having enough glucose so that you don't uh, draw any uh, polyunsaturated fats out of storage, uh, those are very toxic to the uh, uh, the the, uh, insulin-producing cells in the pancreas. Uh, and uh, they are uh, normally they're constantly turning over. The beta cells are being renewed constantly, and in a diabetic, they're being renewed, but they die quickly. And uh, sugar is uh, a factor that will prolong their lifespan. Uh, it doesn't need anything to stimulate renewal, just to prevent them being killed. Uh, primarily by the polyunsaturated fats. And the uh, nitric oxide is... uh, uh, Soon after uh, it was discovered that uh, the body produces its own nitric oxide in the early 90s, many uh, articles came out demonstrating that nitric oxide is specifically uh, what kills the beta cells. And uh, so you definitely don't want to uh, do anything that uh, would increase your nitric oxide production.
0: What kind of activity does that? Uh, well,
1: uh, uh, supplementing uh, ar- arginine or foods high in arginine uh, wouldn't probably be desirable. Okay. And uh, I think the uh, the effects of of aspirin and the B vitamins and the vitamin E. Uh, pregnenolone, and progesterone, and DHEA. Around 1985, I think it was, someone uh, gave rabbits diabetes with a chemical toxin and then gave them a supplement of DHEA. And uh, that was the only difference. Uh, The ones that got the DHEA uh, regenerated healthy, uh, Insulin producing pancreases.
0: Hmm. Um, and that has to be taken in uh, small amounts, or you uh, convert it to estrogen, is that right? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, uh, 10 to 15 milligrams is probably a safe amount.
0: All right, and, and one of the things that I think everybody will be surprised by is that you're actually advocating uh, taking uh, sugar or glucose. Uh, yeah, uh, which is the... a couple
1: of my articles on my website. I uh, give some of the history of that uh, in the, uh, the late 19th century. A couple of doctors uh, described cases that they cured uh, from really advanced terminal diabetes. People losing uh, weight at a terrific rate. Uh, they added. Uh, something like 12 ounces per day of sugar to an otherwise good diet, uh, regular high protein and vegetables and uh, milk and so on. Hmm. But uh, just by adding 12 ounces of of sugar to that diet uh, in just a few weeks, people came back from near death.
0: Hmm. And I guess their logic was, since they were urinating out, so much of their bodily sugar they figured maybe they were short on sugar yeah
1: exactly they, The their reasoning at first was uh, they're dying so fast that they're putting out uh, uh, the equivalent of a pound of tissue converted to sugar every day uh, and uh, just to slow down their starvation process they said um, and, and they crave sugar why not let them eat what they crave and uh, maybe slow down their death, but instead they uh, stopped wasting away and came back.
2: Hmm.
0: And I I want to go back a little bit to, uh, because I think I did uh, the person who asked the uh, multiple chemical sensitivity question a a little short shrift in that I never asked you, what can somebody do uh, if if they're suffering from multiple chemical sensitivity?
1: Um, uh, supplementing thyroid is the usual thing, but uh, sometimes they're very low in cholesterol. And uh, since thyroid works partly through uh, converting cholesterol to uh, hormones like progesterone, DHEA, and pregnenolone, uh, if, if your cholesterol is too low, thyroid alone doesn't necessarily do it so uh, supplementing uh, one or more of those uh, will uh, very quickly often uh, relieve the uh, exaggerated sensitivity mm.
0: Okay and it sounds like you said that uh, the the rabbits were given uh, diabetes just by being poisoned uh, with a toxin and it sounds like That's happened. A lot of our diseases are actually uh, environmentally caused. It's, um, you know, I know they say a lot of people have predispositions to cancer and diabetes and stuff like that. But I personally suspect a lot of it is just environmentally from the uh, from the pollution that's uh, inevitable in our industrial society.
1: Yeah. When I was uh, starting on my dissertation project, I wondered what. Uh, what the factors were that uh, slowed down uh, oxidative processes in aging.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, as I looked uh, around at the possibilities, I, I saw that the same type of deterioration, uh, the same uh, biochemical patterns of interference with mitochondrial respiration were produced by a great variety of stresses. Uh, Radiation, ionizing radiation, or uh, uh, even ultraviolet uh, to excess, uh, uh, had uh, an effect similar to uh, all of the estrogens and the uh, aromatic hydrocarbon carcinogens uh, and hydrocarbons that produce uh, excitation and inflammation, uh, and polyunsaturated. Fatty acids produce the same the same pattern of uh, deterioration, and the vitamin E uh, supplement was found uh, to uh, stop the characteristic damage they were seeing in uh, lab rats and industrial animals from uh, feeding them too much hmm. unsaturated fat. And uh, my thesis advisor uh, found that uh, the uh, Effects of too much estrogen were corrected by a very large vitamin E supplement. And uh, uh, others were finding that vitamin E protects even against radiation and sunburn. Uh, and uh, so uh, some of the uh, uh, processes, like the breakdown of uh, polyunsaturated fats, are increasing our susceptibility to damage from all of those stressors, radiation, estrogen uh toxic heavy metals, and so on mm-hmm. and
0: Ray is referring to the the liquid oils that uh, <coughs> are everywhere in our food supply uh the canola oil i I think you think olive oil's not too bad, and butter's good, but um all of the ve- yeah. vegetable oils except for coconut are are not a good idea,
1: yeah, olive oil. Has only uh, eight or ten percent of the uh, unstable polyunsaturated. Mm. Uh, butter and coconut oil have two or maybe three percent of the unstable ones. Uh, I've recently finally uh, shifted uh, in accordance with something that I I read uh, about forty years ago on the absence of cancer in animals that were fed uh, different types of oil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coconut oil was safer than olive oil, which was safer than uh, uh, safflower oil and the polyunsaturated. But the safest of them all was hydrogenated coconut oil. And uh, Recently, I found a a place uh, to get some uh, just to try it out. And it has a very nice, uh, clean taste and texture, and it's it's free of trans fatty acids as well as polyunsaturated fats. trouble okay. is uh, the, the supplier uh, doesn't uh, supply at retail, only uh, oh. car lot loads.
0: So did you get a semi? Is it parked out back <laughs> <laughs> behind your house? <laughs> it,
1: it's a, it was a very involved process to, to get. Oh, yeah. Uh, a few
0: gallons of it. Wow. Sometimes you can say you're thinking of buying a semi, but you just want a sample. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that's interesting. Did some of the animals get to eat uh, butter?
1: Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Butter and coconut oil Uh were the the safest natural oils. Okay. And so let's uh, talk about,
0: this is another thing that confuses me about oxidation reduction is sometimes they refer to it as hydrogen... Hydrogenation or dehydrogenation, but they're still talking about oxidation and reduction, aren't they?
1: Um, yeah. It, it's just the movement of of electrons that uh, they're talking about. The uh, when we uh, make when we uh, turn saturated fat into unsaturated fat in our own bodies, uh, we Uh, dehydrogenate it.
2: Uh,
1: And uh, when a cow turns uh, unsaturated fat from their food into saturated fat for the butter, uh, it's bacteria in their intestine and rumen which is saturating it or hydrogenating it. Um, So uh, dehydrogenation uh, is uh, uh, something that we we do uh, in our own body.
2: I see.
0: And maybe you could describe for us uh, what is actually happening to the molecule. Is it you're actually removing the hydrogen and then that's what
1: um, Uh, oxidizes it? uh, They're actually referring to the electron, uh, the movement of electrons out of the bonds is is what makes the difference and uh, the uh, the usual thing that you move is a hydrogen atom or two hydrogen atoms. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you take those away, uh, the, the um, like if it's on uh, the um, two uh, adjoining carbon atoms in a fat molecule, uh, there was a, a bond of two electrons between the carbons. You take away a hydrogen from each one and it takes... Uh, it's the proton and one electron leave in each case and they combine two hydrogen atoms uh, turn into hydrogen gas or go to some other molecule Mm -hmm. and the left behind uh, electrons uh, join with each other so you get a a double bond four electrons uh, joining those carbon atoms and the absence of uh, Uh, the the space-filling hydrogen uh, seems to leave uh, that range of of electrons uh, between carbons open and more reactive. Uh, So uh, uh, when you get uh, a lot of hydrogens removed, uh, that makes uh, access uh, of oxygen atoms to the, the fat molecule easier. Hmm.
0: I see. So that's why Crisco is actually a liquid oil, but it's been had the hydrogen added to it, and that makes it more stable.
1: Um, Yeah, and if they would complete the process the way they do in uh, changing coconut oil from two or three percent PUFa to zero percent PUFa, uh, you wouldn't get the the the, um, trans fats in it, and uh, so you would have um, totally saturated and mostly stearic acid in, in Crisco, and that would be safe.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: uh, one group of researchers found that aged, defective mitochondria uh, that were not respiring properly, <laughs> when they uh, gave them fully saturated, hydrogenated I think it was peanut oil. Ugh. It restored mitochondrial function.
0: Wow! So it's a it's a way of purifying it.
1: And um, uh, yeah, and and it, uh, it eliminates the uh, unstable quality uh, that makes things susceptible to oxidation. Uh, uh, there physiologically, there's something called the saturation index. You can look at a person's. Red blood cells, and find the ratio of stearic acid, fully saturated, to linoleic acid, uh, or linolenic, uh, different degrees of unsaturation, uh, and uh, and the longer, uh, uh, even more unsaturated. And people with cancer have a low saturation index. Uh, it. it uh, a very stabilizing thing to a. Yeah. A, like, like a newborn baby is highly saturated in its fats. Uh, in recent years, uh, a, a lot of nutrition oriented doctors are saying you must give babies fish oil and oh, God. other highly uh, polyunsaturated things because most babies are born deficient in. The essential fatty acids, but that's the normal state of a newborn
0: yeah. animal. That's strange because <laughs> it just shows how disconnected um, the medical authorities are with nature. Mm. Um, I mean, if you'd ever look for anything to, for an idea of what perfection is, you'd, I think you'd look at a a newborn
2: creature.
1: Uh, yeah, the the rate of oxidation. Is highest uh, uh, I'm not, not sure how much uh, how you would compare the prenatal oxidative state but r- right at uh, the newborn the, um, uh, the consumption of uh, oxygen and the sugar per gram of tissue is higher than it will ever be later hmm. and it decreases uh, especially At puberty, with the the rise of the sex hormones, uh, the oxidation rate uh, decreases more sharply, and mortality rate increases as the uh, oxidation rate decreases.
0: Right. See, that makes perfect sense. Um, Now I better get back to my questions here from uh, interested. People. Martin asks about salt, and these are three questions about salt, and I'll just run through them as quickly as I can. Um, can salt ingestion trigger migraines in some predisposed people? Example: Mas- Max Gerson. And what would be the psycholo- oh, excuse me? What would be the physiological explanation? Uh, shall I read them all, or do you want to take them one at a time?
1: Oh, uh, are they related to, to the salt?
0: Yeah, they're all um, about salt restriction.
1: Um, yeah, the, the others...
0: Okay, here, here's number two. Context. Here's number two. Do you believe salt restriction was useful in the University of Munich's 1928 tuberculosis trial with Max Gerson's diet under the supervision of Ferdinand Sourbrush? If yes, was the beneficial effect due to a release of excess intracellular water? And three... If salt restriction is useful in evacuating excess intracellular water present in degenerative diseases, is it useful to keep restricting it once this excess intracellular water has been evacuated? Should cancer patients keep avoiding salt after a few months of a saltless diet?
1: Um. Uh, yeah, I, I read uh, Gerson's book, uh, and he was... Uh, uh, very, very good, uh, thorough, he he, um, uh, saw the effects of the diet uh, first on migraines and then tuberculosis and then cancer. And uh, he tried to understand it and he seems to have read just about everything in the first half of the century uh, on the subject. And uh, the, the, the salts are extremely important. Uh, the other uh, contemporary of his, uh, uh, cancer researcher, uh, had a very interesting parallel uh, set of uh, facts regarding uh, salt. Uh, uh, William Frederick Koch, who was a chemistry professor uh, at uh, Michigan, uh, Uh, early in the century um, was studying uh, the removal of the parathyroid glands uh, and uh, a a calcium supplement uh, was uh, the typical remedy for the uh, uh, cramping uh, uh, reaction to the removal of of the parathyroid uh, and the doctrine was developed that uh, the Parathyroid regulates uh, calcium, and, and so you need to replace calcium uh, when the gland is removed. But uh, Koch uh, did uh, the surgery on animals and found that if he gave them extra potassium or sodium or magnesium, it had the same curative effects. And, and uh, uh, the uh, the uh, The the essential fact was that one of these can uh, make up for a deficiency of the other. And uh, the Gerson diet was extremely high in uh, the other minerals, especially potassium. Uh, And uh, the diet always had uh, the amount of sodium that you would have in, in juice, leaves and fruits and vegetables and so on. Uh, So it it was always a a physiological amount of sodium, but uh, often a very excessive large amount of potassium and uh, uh, magnesium. And I I think these were uh, the essence of Gerson's success rather than uh, just the the reducing uh, sodium because uh, when you look at particular experiments, Uh, sodium uh, can stimulate the respiration of a cell and uh, cause it to uh, unswell, give up excess water. Uh, If if you uh, lower the the other minerals and give it too much sodium, you can force it uh, to swell and take up water. But its normal physiological function is to act as a stimulant uh, calcium uh, tends to do, to do the same but uh, uh, the, the cell normally is excluding sodium and um, it perceives sodium as, as an irritant or stimulant and revs up its oxidative metabolism uh, when it uh, has a, a little extra sodium and the um Increased oxidative metabolism produces carbon dioxide and restores the balance. Uh, So, when they're in balance, uh, the right amount of sodium is increasing energy production and decreasing cell cell water content. Uh, And the uh, uh, much of this stuff uh, hadn't. Uh, been specifically examined during uh, Gerson's lifetime, but uh, he was definitely onto something and, and was curing migraine and cancer. But uh, he, he very typically would give his patients a couple of grains of armor thyroid and uh, uh, very often coffee enemas, and, and they were uh, always having. Uh, a very high ratio of carbohydrate to to protein, so they were low on the methionine and tryptophan, uh, and the uh, uh, potentially toxic amino acids, uh, and uh, generally, uh, lots of things in his program uh, were very well well founded, but uh, there just wasn't enough information at that time about about how the, the balance of the alkaline minerals works.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like there's so many variables going on there that it would be hard to pin down any one uh, cause or.
1: Um, it, it, the the um, aldosterone, uh, one of my first physiological experiments was on myself. Uh, when I worked in the woods, our cook was uh, cracked on the idea that hard. Physical labor meant you sweated a lot and needed to replenish your salt. And uh, so he would put, I think it was about a tablespoon of salt in everyone's porridge in the morning. Mm. And if, if you didn't eat your porridge, you didn't get your ham and eggs and steak. And, <laughs> and so everyone was doing it. And uh, I, I, within a, a few days of doing that, I found that uh, the sweat that dripped down my forehead was leaving salt crystal trails on my glasses <laughs> and my eyebrows looked like they were uh, coated with snow from the salt crystal <laughs> and uh, I, I thought of, of the trick of, of saying that I had been put on a low salt diet so I I got normal porridge <laughs> from then on and uh, immediately I I could sweat distilled water uh-huh. and had, I uh, on the high salt diet, I had to take salt, salt pills uh, about eleven o'clock in the morning. Otherwise, I started uh, getting faint. Needed to replenish the salt; it was pouring out so fast. But after the low salt diet, I never needed afternoon salt pills again.
0: You mean the overdose of salt sort of stopped your body from being able to regulate it properly?
1: Uh, yeah, and and the uh, when you're cutting back on the sodium, uh, one of the first reactions is that your aldosterone is increased. Uh, and aldosterone uh, lets you retain the sodium, but it does it at the expense of uh, losing some potassium and magnesium. Huh. So if your diet is high in calcium and magnesium uh, uh, and uh, uh, Potassium, uh, then there isn't any problem with the uh, the, the low sodium intake. But uh, chronically, uh, that high aldosterone has a pro-inflammatory effect, and and so uh, chronically uh, getting more of all of the alkaline minerals than you really need is a safety precaution that uh, will uh, suppress your aldosterone. And protect your heart from uh, inflammation and fibrosis and hypertension and so on. So, in the long run, uh, uh, sodium has has this protection against cell swelling, inflammation, fibrosis, inflammation.
0: Hmm. And in uh, if taken in reasonable amounts, it tastes good too. Um, and what about can salt ingestion trigger migraines in some predisposed people?
1: Um, uh, yeah, when when you're um, already uh, on, on a low salt diet and uh, take salt, uh, one of the common physiology experiments is to uh, have people uh, drink a quart of plain water or a quart of plain water with a, a heaping a teaspoon of salt added to it and uh, at the end of the physiology lab uh, everyone who got the unsalted quart of water uh, would have formed about a quart of urine and the ones that got the salt didn't have any extra forming Hmm. Uh, and it took usually a couple days uh, for that excess water to to come out Uh, so when you take a sudden dose of salt it makes you swell up and retain water uh, until your uh, uh, aldosterone has adjusted downward.
0: I see. So it just takes a while to to adjust to it.
1: Um, yeah, and you'll notice uh, uh, anything that is uh, susceptible will swell up. Your fingers and toes and, and lips and eyelids and such might swell up in the first day after you've mm. eaten a lot of salt. But uh, people who for example on a long airplane trip would always get swollen feet if they adjusted two or three days in advance by eating extra salt and some baking soda uh, they didn't get the swollen feet from sitting still anymore
0: Huh. I see so uh, so you're retaining the you're you're retaining the liquid then, in and in a different place, or are you
1: not? Um, no, you're uh, suppressing the aldosterone, so it it uh, gets the water out out of you. Oh, and, uh, the um, one of the ways sodium works is uh, the the albumin molecule is full of negative charges, and it holds uh, uh, the uh, sodium uh, in in association. So you get a cloud. Of positive negative charges, which holds on the water, it, it keeps the uh, water osmotically held in in your bloodstream. Hmm. Uh, uh, if you're uh, low in either albumin or, or sodium, uh, your uh, blood itself loses the osmotic uh, quality, hmm. and uh, so the, the water stays in your cells and extravascular spaces, but when the combination of albumin and sodium is present in the blood, water flows out of the tissues into the blood, and the blood passing through the the, uh, kidneys then uh, can get rid of of the the water that uh, otherwise would sit around in your tissues, and uh, uh, that same situation uh, Impairs circulation because your blood volume is low, and the fluid volume outside the blood vessels is is too high.
0: Oh, I see. Right,
1: uh, and the the antidiuretic hormone is uh, another side of this that is a lot more complicated and and responds to to stress, estrogen, and and uh, a lot of other things, where the the aldosterone is is pretty closely. Related to the mineral balance.
0: And what is the anti diuretic hormone? Is that, what are you calling? What is
1: that? It's a pituitary hormone uh, that uh, causes water retention with sodium loss. And uh, a low thyroid person, uh, old people, uh, people after accidents, Mm -hmm. uh, anyone in in serious stress, uh, the, uh, they call it inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone syndrome, hmm. uh, and uh, that's very common. Where uh, edema is the uh, uh, what what is really harmful? The brain swells up, for example, hmm. uh, because the body has too much water and not enough salt. And uh, the, the remedy for that <laughs> is uh, uh just adding sodium, but that's not fundamental. And if you do it too fast, you disturb the balance in the different compartments. But uh, the the basic reason for it is that you aren't producing the carbon dioxide from a thyroid deficiency uh, and the, the absence of the high production of carbon dioxide means that you aren't able to retain the sodium in your kidneys as, as the water passes through. Um, and so the low thyroid person loses sodium because the, uh, the, the reverse of the process that uh, happens in other cells. Uh, in the kidneys, carbon dioxide allows the cells to uh, catch and retain sodium.
0: Well, that's fascinating. And uh can't say I get it all, but I understand it a little bit. That's, that's very interesting, Ray. Thanks uh, for... Explaining all that, and I had more questions, but I didn't have any more from other people. I think I got I got to them all. And anything you want to say to uh, sum up about uh, staying healthy and uh, keeping your oxidation working well? We have about um, two minutes.
1: Oh, um, just uh, keeping stress down and uh, fun up. Uh, judging food by. Uh, largely by how it tastes, rather than by uh, what the experts say.
0: Okay, well, that's easy advice to follow. <laughs> so, on that note, Ray, I, I really want to thank you for uh, coming on these last two shows, and uh, and I'll I'll tell people how to get in touch uh, with your website if they want to read more. And I'll say goodbye.
1: Okay. All right. thank, you. thank you so goodbye. much.
0: Thank you so much, Ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bye bye.